This is Rob from Motofit Group. Welcome to the Soundwriter Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Soundwriter Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Welcome, riders, to another episode of the Soundwriter Show, number 1605, May of 2016, if that didn't compute when I said it. Um, we got a really great show planned here today. Tons of stuff going on. It might run a little more over than a, an hour, but we'll we'll keep it entertaining for you. That's right. Whack it up, listening to it in two sections, right? You got plenty of stuff to do. Exactly. You know, get out there, um, do some yard work in the front yard for an hour, pull the headphones out, and then go out the next day and finish up the backyard. That's right. And plus, because this episode is unofficially dedicated to the late Prince, you can listen to some Prince music in between, maybe, huh? Yeah, we won't right. play any for you because uh, the estate will come after us. That's right. But, uh, well, we do have some some, some great music. Uh, I don't know if anybody picked up on that stuff we were playing on the last show. That was all my friend Mike Mengs down in Florida. Awesome stuff, too. That stuff was crazy cool. I got to tell you, that adds such a uh, great element of character to the show, too. I'm really glad that uh, you've got those connections back in your history there. And we've got some new material from Richard Blair that came in this week, so we'll uh, probably slice and dice a little of that. I don't know what it'll all it'll end up sounding like when I edit it. But, is there uh, a better motorcycle uh, show out there? I don't think there is. I like this show. I like it, too. <laughs> I like doing it. I like splicing it together. I, I like it. It's a good deal. So what do we got going on today, though? Because we do have a heavy episode and some interesting stuff kind of going around in the area here, starting out with maybe some classic shows and swap meets, right? No, I was going to ask you where you've been riding. Oh, <laughs> well, we can start out with that, too. Well, you know, this month I had actually kind of in preparation here, and we're looking out today as we record on a pretty nice sunny day relatively sunny day. I've been kind of trying to get the bike in tune. So I've been working on things like cleaning the chain, getting the oil uh, the oil changed, and also just dialing in my suspension a little bit. So I've been kind of bopping around town, a few two-lane roads, nothing too exciting, but kind of a maintenance month for me. How about you? Um, I took the, uh, you know, I made that New Year's resolution. I've been living up to it. I go for a ride every month, no matter what what's going on. Right. Of course, obviously, May, June, July, August rally, sure. Sasquatch road trip. You the know I'm gonna be season. riding plenty then. Absolutely. But um, uh, this this month I went down, or in April, uh, I went down to uh, Centralia and met up with Dale Gray of South Sound Honda and Southbound Honda. Good deal. And uh, there was a group of about fifteen of us, and we took off from Centralia, went up uh, Liberty Canyon Road. And then we rode a bunch of uh, off-pavement stuff all the way out to Raymond. Wow. And we had lunch out on the coast there at Raymond. And then we uh, came back a different way, primarily all off-road. We didn't go through Brooklyn. Everybody thinks, oh, you went through Brooklyn and Oak Ridge. Sure. uh, We didn't go that way. We went went north of Brooklyn and around through Elma. And uh, Dale had really spent a lot of time putting this ride together. He did a lot of pre-riding. He had to probably pre-rode that thing at least, like, I don't know, six or a dozen times uh, just to get it right. And at one point, a bridge had washed out, so he had to restructure Re-route, everything. Reroute, sure. And, but uh, it was quite a bit of fun. Well, that's was, how you know, though, you're on a dual-sport adventure when uh, they tell you a bridge washed out a few weeks before, right? That's mm-hmm. how you kind of get an idea 
that you're going to be doing some of that, uh, you know, more open country that we're so fortunate to have here uh, in Washington State and just the Pacific Northwest at large. Now, my question for you is, uh, what bike were you on? I was on the NX650. Okay. I left Seattle, and by the time I got back home, I'd ridden 500 miles that day. And that was 170 off pavement. That's a uh, that's a lot of seat time on the old 650 there, huh? It, it was a butt burner. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, in preparation, I can only assume, too, because coming up next month in June, the uh, Sasquatch Tour, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So is that kind of getting the bike tuned in for that? Uh, yeah, because, you know, uh, Mark and Dana had just rebuilt my motor in the winter, putting that new cam chain in. That's right. Mark and Dana, uh, Valentine, Valentine Motor Works, Motorworks, right? yeah. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, I, I just wanted to make sure everything was solid, yeah. you know, and, and uh, it didn't leak a drop of oil. It ran like a top, and, uh, you know, they, they went in there and did some, uh, a couple other adjustments sure. and that sort of thing, and, uh, you know, for a, a bike that's almost 30 years old, it's, it's a dream come true. But I tell you what, sometimes no technology is the best technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of older bikes, though, let's get down to business and tell me a little bit about some of these classic shows and swaps that have been hitting the area. So what happened was I was looking for some kind of meat to write about for the April issue. And I got into the uh, calendar and realized, hey, you know, there's a whole bunch of classic bike shows and swap meets going on. I had noticed that. Sort of compiled up all that information and and said, "Hey, what the heck? I'm gonna do a feature article on it." And right. It ended up being a headline article. Yeah, and uh, a lot of people too. enjoyed it. Absolutely, got some real great action on the social media out there with it. And so, uh, I think they're. What do we got going on? Now? A, a, little ba- a little background noise there. I don't know. Maybe a sport bike gang is uh, circling around oh, us here. Okay. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I am a guy who, uh, you know, I appreciate all motorcycles. I'm not specifically into the classic stuff, but every time I go down to a museum or one of these shows, I can't help but have a good time. Oh, yeah. There's beautiful stuff to look at, yeah. you know, and, and uh, always some, some cool things going on at those shows, um, contests and that sort of thing. That's right. And that's up, uh, that was up on the April issue, but probably keep that up on the homepage, I think here into may as well i definitely will and there will be more you know now that article just cites things that were happening in april and that are going to be happening in may but uh our calendar is getting really robust it is definitely and uh and i want to thank um steve schiller who uh really helped me out the other day he he went out i uh, he said what can i do for soundwriter today and i said you know what steve i need some more flat track stuff i need some more stuff i, I need you're the cma guy you know all that's happening in there so i need you to get all these events up for me and he did and so, a, a good time to mention as well as we get more and more listeners to the soundwriter show here that the calendar is an open calendar you submit it to us and if you've got a worthy uh, motorcycle related event we'll get it up there we'd love to hear from you yeah exactly so um, so that's what's happening on the classic shows and swaps. Well, that's a good deal. Well, maybe not uh, so much classic-oriented, but I noticed up on our social media feed there that you had kind of an interesting anecdote about a recent ride of yours. Maybe this was this on your dual sport ride when you were uh, ran into these Goldwing uh, riders? No, it wasn't. It was when I was returning back to Seattle from having done the uh, seminars down at latest Harley-Davidson okay. in April. I gotcha. And so uh, it was Connie and I, and we were actually, we were, we, we were driving a Honda, but it was her car. Okay. So, <laughs> sure. uh, so yeah, so what happened was we're we're pulling up in Morton on uh, Highway 12 East, and we're going to turn left onto 7 North, and there's a large group of Goldwing riders, right. about 
I'd say seven or eight. And uh, we see oncoming traffic, so uh, I don't go. Mm -hmm. No, she was driving. She doesn't go. So uh, smart move. So, <laughs> don't let that traffic go by before we make our left-hand turn. Of course. And as for that group over there, they got to wait for us to make our turn eventually. So as we're waiting for the oncoming traffic to pass, the leader from this group pulls his bike out. Uh-oh. And now seven more lemmings follow out behind him with oncoming traffic this close. Disaster. Did anything happen or was it? No. The last guy was about a split second from basically. From complete disaster. Being done in. Right. Whether he would have died or been injured severely, he would have taken out the front of the car. Of our car. That would not have been good. Which, you know, it's a brand new car. We yeah, don't want to well, do that yet. Well, no, and that you don't want to have anybody get hurt either. What, um, you know, because you have led a lot of group rides in the past, and I know you have some very specific requirements. Do you have any suggestions for other group ride leaders out there? Well, you know, I have, I have my rules that I lay down on a group ride. I like everybody to spread out. Sure. I don't like this one second between each rider staggered. That's just... Total BS. Yeah, you don't want to eat other people's dust either, right? No, well, especially on dual sport. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I don't want to be right right behind the guy. Um, although some dual sport guys will say, well, you should get right behind the guy because that's before the dust comes up. And then, you know, what are you going to do when a deer pops out? You're going to land true. in the back <laughs> of that guy's bike. In that case, you might as well just rise two up anyway, right? If you're going to be that close to the guy in front of you. Uh, well, not off-road. Right. <laughs> So uh, I actually had a, kind of an interesting Goldwing story as well. I was walking, actually, in downtown Seattle here. And downtown... Very... No, I, think, I think we better point something out. Okay. We're not going after Goldwing people. No, 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 no. But this it was... just con concurrently, you had a situation. That's true. And this actually isn't uh, so much on Goldwings here. This is just a, kind of a general thing that I'd like to just uh, get your take on. I was actually uh, walking uphill. And we've got some steep hills here. And I noticed a guy coming downhill... Uh, on kind of an older gold wing, and it looked like that suspension was pretty tired because he was hitting those brakes pretty hard and having a pretty hard time controlling sort of the up and down motion on the hill there as he was getting on and off the brakes. And, mm. uh, you know, that's one thing we talk about, talk a lot about suspension, and we think a lot about, you know, getting in the corners, getting it tuned in for off-road riding. But just kind of a quick tip earlier in the show that may be something to consider as well when you're riding around in downtown, too, because there is a lot of stop-and-go traffic. It can be hilly, especially here in Seattle, and uh, it really brought to my attention a little bit and, you know, how important having your suspension tuned in just sort of in all conditions can be. Yeah, true. I don't go downtown except on Sunday. Yeah, downtown traffic, yeah, it can be pretty miserable down there. But, uh, you know, for those of us that live in the area, it yeah. sometimes is a necessity. So, um, I, got, I got something for you. Sure. Hypothetical situation. Okay, lay it right? on me. All right. Uh, your, your garage burned down. Uh-oh. And your bike is, to is toast. Mm-hmm. Literally. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the same time, you had a relative who recently passed away, and you got a really sizable chunk of cash. Okay. I mean, we're talking like seven figures. All right. So money's not really an object. So what we're going to do here is... We're going to take a break, mm -hmm. and during the break, you and I are going to look over to the pages of the Soundrider used bikes and the Soundrider hot deal bikes. Excellent. And we're going to pick two to three bikes to replace the bikes we lost, we lost in, the in fire. each of our garages. Okay. All right? I can't wait for that, definitely. All right. So we'll be, uh, we're going to take that break and do that, and we'll be right back. 
Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. This is Garden Robinette from Trail Tech, makers of Voyager. You're listening to The Soundwriter Show. Hi, my name is George. I'm from East Wenatchee, Washington. One of my favorite rides is in Southeast Oregon, up onto the Steens Mountains and back down. studio on the sound writer show and we're talking hypotheticals we're talking news we're talking all kinds of stuff in this segment but let's lead in with what we tease exiting our last segment here talk about hot deal bikes and used bikes tom i'm interested what are the three that you have chosen off of our uh, inventory currently up at soundwriter.com uh okay i picked three and uh the first one is going to be my road burner bike sure now you know i've had a nc 700x that's it's right. fully boxed up and and was really nice but now that poor puppy just melted to the ground it's toast yep so i'm gonna do something different in fact none of these bikes are yellow so i'm really gonna do something different uh, you know? oh yeah uh i'm gonna get the uh 2015 Capinard that is out at Ride Motorsports in Woodenville. Nice. I want the white one. Okay. I yeah. know it's all bagged up, and uh, and it's going to be a quick replacement to what I just lost. That's although true. It won't have the knobbies and stuff on it, but Not that's yet. okay. I want to get to a knobby bike too. Well, and you inherited seven figures, so I think you can probably afford some knobby tires at some point here in the future. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put it on that bike, but you know that bike's gonna have really nice suspension. Aprilia yeah. motors are awesome. Sure. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm a Honda guy, but uh, you're gonna soon find out I'm not anymore. Well, yeah, it looks like your loyalty burned down in the fire as well, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> the yellow paint's gone. The loyalty, it's all gone. Times, they are a-changing. All right, so my, my dual sport mount, now I'm getting to be older. Sure. And I don't want a big bike, and nobody really makes a nice mid-range bike that I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go for a 250. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to get the Yamaha XT250 that is out at Adventure Motorsports in Monroe. 2015 model and you were talking about dialing in your suspension that's right you know the uh the suspension the reason that the xt250 is so expensive of course that doesn't matter to me anymore that's right um, is because it's got some awesome suspension on it, it it's something that you can adjust adjust front and rear i was gonna say yeah many different ways so uh that's an excellent choice you know 250 is you know we're seeing more and more of that you mentioned um, as you're getting uh, a little bit older here, a lot of guys trading in a lot of those heavier bikes going down to some 350s and 250s because exactly. they just want to get out and ride. And for me, um, I don't I do not do a lot of overnight. Although I can do overnight touring on a 250, it's not a problem. True. Now, the 250 that I lost in the fire, that had a 19-inch front wheel. Let me right. tell you, there's a big difference between a 21-inch front wheel and a 19. Yeah. So I know I'm going to be happy out there, and I'll be able to get the gear onto the bike that I need to get on it, even if I want to do some overnight stuff. Well, great for one of those 
those little 200-mile loops, you know, you head out on a Saturday morning, you come back on a Sunday evening, you'd have yourself a hell of a time on that, I think. 200-mile loop? Yeah. Oh, I did 500 on one day. I know that you can do more, <laughs> but I'm saying for a relaxing, and you were on a 650 then, too. Of course, I'm going to buy each one of these bikes and run them right out to Kingston and have Rich do seats Custom on them for seats, me. Custom seats, absolutely. There's no sense in trying to run them around until I get that. Hey, there's no rule out. that says that you have to be uncomfortable on a motorcycle. Now, the last one that I really hated losing in the fire was my um, Silverwing, my Honda Silverwing scooter. Sure. I love Silverwings. they got a really low center of gravity. They're super gyroscopic that way. Right. A lot of fun. So, uh, then I didn't find any in the Hot Deal bikes or in the used bikes, so I'm going to have to settle for something different. Okay. Now, I did a test ride on this bike uh, two years ago in the winter, in February. Right. And I uh, went right up over Stevens Pass on it. It's the uh, 2014 BMW C650 GT scooter. And that's for sale out at Moon Motorsports in Issaquah. And uh, it's, a, it, it's a really nice scooter. I, I, I still like the Silverwing better, but I can't get one right now. Right. Uh, but this one has, uh, it has a heated grips and a heated seat. Even the passenger seat is heated. You know, you've talked about in the past, you know, how you really do enjoy riding the scooters. And certainly, you know, I'm on board with you there. One thing that I always uh, think is a great point that you make is the storage that these scooters come through, uh, come with under seat. It's great for just kind of a grocery getter and that kind of thing. You don't have yep. to worry about it too much. So Yeah, now one, one thing I choice. remember about doing that, uh, that BMW scooter was uh, I thought I could plug my electric stuff into the auxiliary jack sure. that's up in the front. But that's really just for charging your cell phone, and it's only rated at like an app I found out. Oh, really? So I did that whole trip with no heated gear on. Mm. Well, I had it on, but it couldn't. I couldn't fire it up, and that's when I discovered that right. it had the heated grips in the seat. And I thought, you know, I'm just I'm going to go up over Stevens Pass. If it gets too cold, I'll turn around and come back. Sure. And I I don't have to turn around at all. That's awesome. It was perfect. So those are some excellent choices. So those are my there. three picks. What do you got? So I got a few uh, different ones. I took uh, some different takes on these as well. Uh, the first one I took is going to be from Hinshaw's uh, down in Auburn, Washington. Here, that's a 2015 Ninja ZX6R with ABS. Whoa. Yeah, so that's a pretty heavy-duty bike, but I figure since money's no object, that's something that maybe I can work my way towards. Go down and maybe hang out with Mike Sullivan for a few days, get some race training and that kind of thing. And I got it pretty spread out here over my three choices, so that's one that... So is, is track day something you want to do with that, too? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. You know, And that's why you know I figure I don't have a ton of experience. I figured I'd go with the 6R instead of the 10. So, yeah, you know, yeah. baby steps, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there again, you got all that nice dial-in suspension if you want it. That's right. So a beautiful bike, and that's down at Hinshaw's in Auburn. Now, my next choice um, is something that I just am curious about, and I figured this could make sort of a good all-around tour. That's a 2014 Moto Guzzi Stelvio 1200 NTX. Awesome. Right? Now, a huge bike. I really just don't know a ton about it, but every time I see them, I just kind of think, Man, this thing looks great. It's awesome. It's loaded up with luggage. It's down at Moto International here in Seattle. And uh, I know from working with Dave a little bit and uh, from previous articles and that kind of stuff for Soundrider that he'd help me really get this thing dialed in, too. Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful, well-styled motorcycle. Yeah. That would be my next choice for road burner, probably. Sure. Um, even though, you know, it, it could go off-road, it's not my... Uh, bikes that big off-road don't do not do it for me. Right. That's, that's a lot of motorcycle to take off-road. You're absolutely right, and that was my same thought pattern here, and that's why I went back to the old classic down at Adventure Motorsports in Monroe, Washington. And this probably won't last for too long, but... 
They've got a 1995 DR350 for $2,999. Wow. I wonder if you can go in the garage and recover the uh, the Happy Trail setup that You're, Tim put together you. For read you. my mind. That was going to be my next <laughs> caveat, that in the fire, those uh, aluminum set, uh, uh, panniers survived. Oh, and, uh, they did. They okay, did, good. yeah. And uh, all my uh, toolkits and that kind of stuff that are loaded up in there are ready to go as well. <laughs> so a broad spectrum there. Uh, the Ninja ZX6R probably won't see too much time, but I figured, hey, what the hell? I got to strive right, so, for something. So a quick plug for our used bike and hot deal bike section. We usually typically maintain four to 500 hot deal bikes at any time That's on right. there. Uh, we usually maintain three to 500, depending on how the market is. The market's really strapped in the used bike department right now. Yep. So, uh, you know, if you got a bike you've been thinking about selling, there are a lot of dealers who would like to have your bike on right. their showroom floor to sell, and there's a lot that will do consignment. So, And just a quick note to our listeners, too, if you're not exactly familiar with what a hot deal bike is, that's a previous year or unused model from the last couple of years uh, that usually have pretty steep discounts attached to them. And typically has a full warranty. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and the discounts are crazy, crazy good. A couple of thousand dollars off of what is a brand new motorcycle. Exactly. So. All right. So that's, uh, that's the end of our hypothetical situation. But let's get into reality. Let's, let's get into news bites. Let's move over to news bites. Let's do yeah. it. All right, so uh, a couple things happened this month. We had a guy want to put a trailer on, so we put it up on uh, on the used bike section for right. him. And uh, he went looking for his trailer the other day and couldn't find it, so we created a trailer category. I think that's a great idea. And so uh, that's you know that's kind of a news bites for you. Um, if you got a trailer you want to sell, you want to put it up on Soundrider, you just do it like you're putting a bike up. It's nineteen bucks until it sells and uh, stays in the place where it was. So that's happening. Um, we're seeing a lot of hiring going on at yep. the dealers right now. Uh, anybody looking to uh, work in the area of their passion and uh, wants to do, you know, there, we've, there I see sales positions open out there. Definitely. There was a position that opened up at Adventure the other day for a guy that they wanted to have assemble and detail bikes. Uh, lots of people looking for receptionists because that's usually the one that gets laid off in the winter. Sure. And uh, so, you know, check the uh, check the dealer sites around where you live if you're interested in getting into the well, industry. And a great way to get your foot in the door and take advantage of some of those uh, employee discounts, maybe. Yeah, that's true. Right? And there's some nice ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um Okay, so a lot of you listen to the Soundwriter Show, uh, various ways. You can get it through TuneIn, you can get it through iTunes, you can get it direct off the show site. And uh, uh, I got hip to this way back in January and went ahead and loaded all the information. And this last month, uh, Google opened up Google Play for podcast. So you should be able to download it in there. Uh, I've been looking for it. I can't even find podcasts in there, but maybe that's because I'm not a, like a paying Google Play member. I don't know. You know, I haven't had a chance to look specifically, but I think the bottom line on that is we are everywhere. You can get us anywhere you want, right? Exactly. You can find the show. Exactly. Um, so we used to run this column called The Blotter. And it was uh, all the little anecdotal stuff that was going on with uh, people who ride motorcycles that do things that aren't within the law. That's right, yeah. And so uh, I, I got to thinking about it's a lot of work with the way we were doing it. You know, I'd have to cut and paste and bring the picture in and all that. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to add uh, the blotter to our news bites feed that's great to the social media in general right yeah yep. yeah it'll run across social media it'll be in the feed on soundwriter you don't have to be on social media to read it it'll be just like it was before in fact i think it's even better because it just 
brings in the photo and it it uh, brings in the headline and everything. Once I just cut and paste in the the web page, it definitely does. And you know, a lot of that stuff on the blotter is one of those things that you can't help but just crack a smile and shake your head because it is so ridiculous. And but, if you are on social media, you can respond to what you see. That's right. Some comments feeds. are always welcome, especially on uh, Facebook and Twitter. So exactly. And I don't. I, typically, I don't have to edit people's out. You know, just. Uh, yeah, keep it cl- keep it clean. <laughs> keep it clean, and uh, we'd be happy to have. Your Obviously, feedback. we do this to enrich people. We do it to entertain them. We just, you know, we we just want people to kind of move if they need to, to the next level. That's right. You know. Yeah. So uh, another one that came up that I thought was really interesting: Suzuki zero percent financing for sixty months, which is crazy. Five years, zero percent financing, and I looked into this a little bit on their website. It didn't get into specifics. It did say on um, specific or on select models, I suppose. Was it? Uh, that's what it said, but it didn't get into the details on what those select models were. But if you're looking for a new bike, and, yeah, uh, you're going to finance it for zero percent for five years. That's that's pretty crazy. So in the bigger scheme of things, I I see two things going on. Right. Uh, I know from talking to dealers around the area that sales of Suzuki have sort of slowed down. Sure. So that's a way to pump it up, maybe. Uh, I also know that uh, the economy doesn't stay good forever, and it typically swings in 10-year cycles. So if you can get a bike today at 0% financing, and say you do want to pay it off over five years, you you could do that, and it won't strap you so bad with the interest going on in there once you get into – once we head back into our – Next recession. Right. Because that's going to probably be within the next five years. Well, and a lot of great bikes still, too. I mean, I know Suzuki's sales may be have slumped, but a lot of good stuff out they there. Do. Yeah. They do. They, you know, they keep moving the V-Strom along and yep. bumping that up. They still got their cruiser line. Their sport bikes are always re-engineering them almost every year, it that's seems right. like. Yep. So uh, there's some good bikes in the lineup there. And, and a lot of dealers around to service them as well. That's true. Uh, sadly, uh, Sickworks, the painting company out in University Village in Seattle, has closed their doors. Now, have these been the guys that have been painting your bikes yellow for yeah. the last couple of years? Yeah, right? they yeah. painted uh, two of my bikes. So, uh, kind of a bummer. You know, painting is really hard to get away with in the big city because of all the environmental restrictions That's now. true, yeah. I don't know the reason why. I called Brian. He didn't call me back. So, I haven't heard what all the reasons were that they did close. Right. Uh, you know, in Seattle, that could be that they're going to go in and gentrify the neighborhood more and Who throw knows, up a four-story yeah. condo or something. But uh, you anyways... Would, you wouldn't want to live on top of a paint shop, though? I mean, I think that'd work out pretty well for a lot of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a painter under a building I rented one time. Really? It was not nice. I can imagine that would oh, be man, a yeah. little difficult. But hopefully the guys at SickWorks will pop up somewhere else. A lot of times, you know, these uh, motorcycle-related businesses kind of transform into something else or they partner with other people, so... We'll keep an eye out for them, I hope. I'm at a little bit of a loss because I only know one painter now, and that's Russ Foy down in the Black Diamond area, Ravensdale. Uh, And I don't know of any other painters. Maybe Mike LaValle is uh, still painting up north. But uh, it's not like we have a whole lot of choices, and I'm not particularly fond of taking my bike to a car shop True. where people are working there who don't know their way around motorcycles because you got to disassemble a lot of stuff and you got to do it in the right order. And so uh, I'm a little concerned. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk with some of the dealers coming up here and see where they're sending broken bikes out to now. Yeah, well, that'd be great to update with on uh, the June episode of the Sound Rider Show. Maybe we'll have some more information. Now, this was going on in April, and I don't know, 
I don't know if it's going on in May or not, but Southbound Honda was doing test rides, and uh, you got a dozen donuts. So if, if donuts are your thing, yeah. and you want to test ride a motorcycle, uh, call up Southbound Honda, and, or Southbound. It could be Southbound and Southbound. Hey, that's just for taking the test ride, though. Yeah, you do the test ride, you get a dozen donuts from a new donut shop down the street. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that sounds interesting. Go down, try out a new bike, have a few donuts, you know. I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a hell of an afternoon or morning. Uh, okay, and the last thing on the list here is that uh, our friend Roger in South Australia. That's right, and he uh, had found us on social media and commented on the show a couple of months ago. We gave a shout-out to him, and uh, glad to hear that he's still listening. So he's got a Honda Africa Twin that he's been riding around down there for a few weeks now. Really? And so he uh, may be sending us up a review of the Africa Twin before we actually have anybody up here who gets to ride it. That would be excellent. I hope that Roger's uh, working hard on that. And uh, did you have a chance to exchange anything with him about his kind of general feedback this far, thus far? Uh, no, I just want to see what he comes up with, and then I may query him back and forth and sure. edit him a bit. But uh, I think it'll be fun. You know, it won't be like having one of these super cycle world right. reviews or something like that. This is just a regular guy who loves Real to ride world, motorcycles, yeah. shoots videos whenever he goes out. And so uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that we see it in the June issue. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, we are taking a break right now, and then when we come back, we'll have the calendar. Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by the MotoFit Group, providing track days in both Oregon and Washington. The MotoFit Group helps riders experience the next level of their riding abilities and takes them to the zone where the bike and rider become one. Find out more or sign up for a track day today at themotofitgroup.com. Hi, this is Chris Page from the Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association, and you're listening to the Soundwriter Show. Hi, I'm Greg from Goldendale, Washington. Only lived out here a year, but there's all kind of great roads to ride, and I haven't found them all yet. In studio on the Soundwriter Show and heading straight into the calendar on a jam-packed May show today. we got a lot of good stuff coming up, but we, of course we want to talk about what is happening in the greater Pacific Northwest region in the world of motorcycling. Tom, why don't you take us through the calendar here? All righty. Uh, starting on May 1st. That's like right now. <clears throat> uh, we got the 30th Annual Classic and Vintage Motorcycle Show in British Columbia. And some more details about that on Soundwriter. Um... Then on May 5th, uh, we've added the Thursday night motocross night at Hannigan Speedway up in uh, Skagit County. And uh, there's actually multiple Thursday nights they're doing this on between now and July. So uh, if you want to go catch some motocross action locally, and uh, I don't know, he wouldn't exactly be going against the traffic, but maybe just take off Thursday at noon and go up to Skagit. Yeah, well, Burlington, too. Not a do, uh, too bad of a trip if you want to shoot down maybe from British Columbia as well, right? There you go. There you go. Uh, on the 7th, Saturday, uh, we got flat track racing at the Rainier Cycle Bowl. And this is similar to the Hannigan event where there's going to be multiple... 
uh, flat track races at Rainier Cycle Bowl. So uh, check our calendar to see them all. And I don't think I've ever been to the uh, Rainier Washington Cycle Bowl. Have you ever been down there? I have not. All right. That might be something worth checking out then. That's the 7th, just coming up in a couple of days. I wonder how it tastes. Yeah, the, the Cycle, cycle bowl? bowl. yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then on the, uh, also on the 7th, you could head down to Portland, like, really super early in the morning. In fact, I would go on Friday night if you were going to do the Rose City 500. Probably a good idea. Because those guys roll out of there at, like, 5 a.m. I think they check in at 4.30. That's what it says, yeah. Sign yeah. in at 4, th- well, sign in between 4.30 and 7.30, bikes out at, uh, 5 a.m. Wow. And then it also says on here, this is not a joke, so... <laughs> <laughs> Take that well, it's seriously. it's a 500-mile day, and then I know they all get back together at the end and have burgers or whatever. Sure. So. Well, you know, Portland, a great weekend trip, too. So if you're looking for a reason to ride, get down there to Portland and check you it out. You probably won't see much of Portland, though. Um, that's a 500-mile trip around Oregon and Washington. They change the route every year. So uh, I don't know what it will be this year. Well, it sounds like an interesting trip anyway. Get down to uh, the calendar page. You can click the link and check out more from uh, those guys at the Rose City 500. Yeah. On uh, May 15th, we had a too fast track day at PIR, which always tends to lead into racing that following weekend. And sure enough, on the 14th at PIR, uh, OMRA's doing their race weekend. So uh, Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association, go down and check out the bikes going around in circles. (laughs) Definitely. Always a fun time, though. Uh, On the 14th as well, you could head east and go to Goldendale. And the Puget Sound Trialers will be doing a trials event on that Saturday out there. Always fun to watch trials. Yeah, 14th annual, too, so good job for those guys keeping it running yeah. that long. We've seen, you know, we, we did a feature on trials last, last year about this time. That's right. And uh, the sport's definitely growing again. And uh, some of the bikes that these guys bring out, they're just beautiful. That's true. And Goldendale, always a fun place to visit. Oh, yeah. Uh, also on the 14th, Jolly Rogers Motorcycle Club has their 75th anniversary party. Man, that's crazy. 75 years, huh? Been a crazy 75 years if you go through the club's history. I wonder what the next 75 will be like. Well, one can only hope that we will be keep uh, keeping you updated here in another 75 years at soundrider.com, right? Hey, you think they'll all be on electric motorcycles 75 years from now? You know, that's a great question. Is there uh, motor, or electric or hydrogen? I don't know. What will be the fuel of the future? Yeah. I mean, it might, might not even have wheels on their motorcycles. It might just gliding. elevate off the ground. Yeah. And, huh. I think actually it'll all be just virtual. You just put on your headset and your tube. <laughs> yeah. And you'll, it'll be safe. You won't have to worry about learning anything. No one will get hurt. That's Nothing right. will happen. <laughs> uh, on Sunday, the 15th. The Sky Valley Motorcycle Show in downtown Snohomish. I think they used to call that the Snohomish Motorcycle Show, but uh, it's put on by Sky Valley Bait, and uh, it gets a little crazy down there in downtown, so bear with the traffic. Sure. Uh, if it rains, there won't be as much traffic. If it's sunny out, you can expect a lot of people out. Definitely, but not too bad mileage-wise anyway from downtown here in Seattle. And you can make a fun ride out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Just get your bench, benchmark atlas and use all the tertiary That's a roads. great suggestion, definitely. Uh, then on Monday the 16th, we're kicking off the road trip tour down in Long Beach, Washington. That's our uh, five-day road trip tour that traces the Columbia River. We've been doing all the pre-riding. Lee's been out picking up a lot of the pre-riding. 
And uh, things are coming together. The routes are all getting finalized now. And uh, that'll be a fun tour. It'll I, be five days, Monday through Friday. I really hope you get your camera gear turned up for this one because it's going to be just absolutely stunning, that ride. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those roads, I've been looking forward to riding them because there's one road up in Canada that's undoubtedly the best road in Canada. Sure. Okay. So I had to slip it into the route. That's a good idea, I think, definitely. There's a couple ferry rides. All kinds of stuff going on. Still time to sign up if you're listening to this early in the month, too, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like I say, it runs Monday through Friday. You can get down to Long Beach on Sunday night right? and uh, do an early registration when you're there, or you can come in on Monday and register, or you can pre-register online right now. Which is always highly recommended. Uh, if you didn't go on a road trip, you could go to the uh, ever-popular Backfire Moto That's on it. Wednesday night, the 18th, in Seattle. Uh, a number of charity rides going on on the 21st. Uh, I've got one out in Kirkland raising money for the uh, Bikers Against Child Abuse. And then I got another one out in Tri-Cities, which, uh, I, you know, we, we in Apple, we have to, in iTunes, we have to tell them if it's a um, clean show or a right. dirty show. So I can't actually tell you the title of that ride. Sure. But you can see it on the calendar if you want. Go check it out. That's right. Soundrider.com slash calendar, of course. Uh, keeping up with your vintage desires, you could head down to Benton, Oregon on the 22nd of May for the vintage show and swap that's going to be happening there. And I think it's at the county, uh, at the county center there. Yep. At the Benton County Fairgrounds. Now there's a few things going on in June and I'm going to bring them out because I just want to make sure anybody who needs to get signed up for these takes care of business and gets it done with now. Um, uh, June 3rd through the 5th is the Giant Loop Dual Sport ADV ride that's out in Central Oregon. Uh, they go to a beautiful little hot tub resort on the, uh, I think it's on, well, I think that's where they stay on the 3rd and the 4th. And uh, uh, as we'll soon find out, there's going to be some training down there. And, uh, and the ride just to and from the location is, is always a lot of fun. Uh, on the 4th, there is the Rally in the Valley, and that is something put on by Wenatchee Power Sports. It's a fundraiser, and uh, you can get more details on the calendar page about that. Also on the 4th, down in Hood River at the Hood River Fairgrounds is the Black Dog Dual Sport. I think they're going on like their 20th or 30th year or something. Yeah, they've definitely been around for a while here. It doesn't have any uh, notes uh, just in here to say how long it's been, but... Always a good organization to go down and check out, and a lot of fun, too. And then on uh, June 13th through 17th, we've got the Sasquatch Dual Sport running. Uh, Just like the road trip, that's going to start out in Long Beach, Washington, and travel all the way up the Columbia River. A different route from the road trip tour, for sure. Significantly different. Lots of gravel. Uh, Still working on a pre-riding on that, because some places had so many mud holes that we couldn't get the rider through. But uh, we should have that all squared away by the 1st of June. So you won't have to bring your winch. You'll be okay. That's, that's the idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our calendar. And uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we've got a couple of representatives from a couple of different motorcycle uh, riding skills companies. Great stuff coming up. And so uh, we'll see you back here in just a moment. On the Sound Rider Show. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by... 
The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com rally. Hello, this is Paul Rogers with Henshaw's Motorcycle Store here in Auburn, Washington, and you are listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, my name is Rich. I live in Kingston, Washington. I own several motorcycles, uh, BMWs, Ducatis, Harley-Davidson's, and one of my favorite rides is riding the Olympic Peninsula. Thanks for sticking around here on the Sound Riders Show. We have some great interviews coming up on this uh, May episode. Almost said June there, skipping ahead a little bit. But joining us in studio today is Steve Stewart from the Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety. And uh, we're going to be talking a bit about uh, some of the programs and that kind of thing in just a bit. But Steve, first of all, I want to thank you for coming in. And I also want to get a little bit of background on uh, your experience in motorcycling and the organization that you represent, Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety. Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I started instructing when I was in the Navy back in 84. Okay. I've been a certified instructor since then. I uh, became a chief instructor in 99. So Nice. Uh, involved in training students and instructors. More than uh, 30 years of experience. That's right. great. Yeah. Worked with the Department of Licensing and their motorcycle safety program for about 10 years and was actually the program manager from 2006 to 2009. Great. So we've got a lot of uh, training background, not just training individuals, but training trainers as well. Um, so how did you get started with Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety? Tell us a little bit about that organization. Uh, I was working uh, under contract with the Navy. I've been doing that for the last six years, doing the training here in the Northwest on the Navy basis. And uh, the opportunity came up to go to work with Dave at uh, PNW, Pacific Northwest. Sure. And, uh, you know, we've worked together in different capacities for years. So and when, yeah, I was going to say, when nice we say Dave, we're talking about Dave Wendell, right. who is the founder of Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety, whose uh, background that I recall goes back to Evergreen Safety Council. And uh, Dave's done a lot of things in uh, motorcycle training here in the Northwest. So. Absolutely. Um, the uh, sidecar trike education program, the three-wheel curriculum that we use here in Washington is used in uh, a lot of the country. Right. Dave actually developed... Uh, while he was at ESC, along uh, David Huff had a lot of uh, uh, input into that. Sure. Um, a gentleman by the name of Chris Johnson at WMST, Washington Motorcycle Safety Training, and Dave, uh, my boss, are the guys that work to develop an on-street course that is offered at both of those two schools, too. Well, that's great. We want to get into a little bit more detail on the on-street course, but maybe you could give our listeners kind of a rundown of some of the, you know, just kind of the course list that you guys do offer. One thing we always emphasize here, of course, at uh, Sound Rider is continual education. So what do you guys have going on down in, uh, I guess, Auburn and Silverdale mm -hmm. right now, right? Well, it's uh, starting from the base and we'll work our way up. Sure. Uh, we, we've got a thing uh, known as a first ride course, and it's um, basically for someone that's not sure they want to do this, but they don't really want to commit to the full basic training yet. So uh, they get a uh, sort of a short uh, 
class in uh, controls and clutch operation and and generally just getting the bike started and stop it and stopping it um not really anything more than moving the bike and developing confidence there so we're talking about you're walking down the street one day and you see a motorcycle ride by and you go damn that looks like fun and you don't know anything else about it and you don't have any friends that ride and you just want to get started that's would be the first the first step that's it i mean as far as as far as knowledge come into that one if i show you a picture of a horse and a motorcycle you need to be able to pick up the motorcycle at least half the time okay yeah so So that's that's, the testing curriculum there right Um, (laughs) you don't have to be able to pick up the horse not well, pick it out. Sorry, oh, sure, pick yeah, it out. pick it out. Yeah, that's right. Just out of the lineup. It's there. that southern thing. I don't enunciate very yeah. well. Um, <clears throat> that's level two, picking up horses, right? <laughs> Just in case you're out on a dual sport adventure and you run into one. Right. <laughs> um, so after that, though, from the very basic, what goes up the line? From there, we have the actual basic rider course: sixteen hours of training, classroom, and riding time. Uh, the MSF curriculum is so the one. So this can get you the endorsement used. if you're getting started. Yeah, this has both t- the written and the riding test associated with it. Uh, then we have a, a, a course known as the intermediate rider training. It's primarily primarily designed for the folks that are you know returning riders. They rode a while, but they've been off the bikes for some reason, or uh, they've been riding around illegally for a while without an endorsement. Right, which is an ideal. Well, right? that doesn't happen. Yeah. No, no, not not often. But anyway. Um, that's a one-day course as opposed to a 16-hour course, and then uh, they do get to do the testing. Uh, they get a little time on our bikes if they wish. They can bring their own, but certainly they can use a training bike. And sure. for some, some folks, that's important to not bring out the big one. They'll take the, the smaller one and, so and test I, on it. I want to has, hazard a guess here, and I want to get to just kind of your take on this quickly. Intermediate riders, you say it's a lot of returning riders. How many times do you hear the story? Oh, we had kids. I got rid of the bike, and now I'm getting back into it. Yep, yep. Uh, almost every time. Almost the, every the kids time. are out yeah. of the house, so yeah, you sure. know, mama lets me now. That's right. So one yeah, of those let deals. me back yeah. up. That's great. Yeah. And then so, and but that's also. Um, you know, something that maybe somebody with a few thousand miles, right, or at the end of their first full season mm-hmm. of riding can really benefit from some intermediate sure. level training. It's not a bad idea. We have a, a, a separate course. We, we don't teach it a lot because there's not a great deal of demand for it called a, a BRC2, used to be known as an experienced rider course. Okay. And it's a lot of um, the slower speed control items, U-turns, and, and, you know, we do work on hazard avoidance types of things, swerves sure. and quick stops and things like that, but it's a lot of handling the bike, and it's really ideal. Let's say someone has been has spent a while on a style of motorcycle, right. and they switch to a different style of motorcycle. It's a pretty good way to work through the paces and get used to this new motorcycle and where what its differences are so, in a relatively safe environment. So let's be clear here on... on uh New rider course, is that BRC? Yes, BRC. Okay, they they ride your bikes at the range. Yes. Now my question is, most of the other things you teach, they ride their own bike on the BRC two. Do they ride their own bike or your bike? It's it uh, on the it's BRC two. They should bring their bike. Okay. Uh, the the IRT they have an option. Okay, gotcha. Um, and and again, most people like to have the training bikes because they're they're trying to get this testing out of the way so they can get their endorsement taken care of. That's that's right. the reason we see most. And at any level, especially beginners, Tom will be happy to lend you their bike. So if anybody's listening oh, God, out God, there, right, God. the one that just burned up in the garage. That's right. Yeah, previous oh. segment there. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, no. um, so after we get uh, through that, what's next up the line there, Steve? Well, and actually, there's uh, there's one that it's in a 
it's hard to place it. Generally, it would fall between that BRC and their intermediate rider training okay. is a thing known as the ARS or additional riding session. And, and it's really for someone who's taken a course doesn't really matter which one. Sure. And they just like a little more time to concentrate on, you know, basic handling and, and they just to just want to spend more time on the motorcycle. Maybe they pass the course. Right. They've got they're ready for their endorsement, but they don't feel like they're ready really to even play around the neighborhood too much. So it just gives them a little additional time. Is well, that one on one training? Uh, no, the AR the ARS is a, a generally a lower ratio and no more than six to one is normal. Four to one, uh, four to one is what is uh, is the norm. Okay, and uh, on, a, on, a, on a BRC, that's usually twelve to one, right? Twelve to two. Twelve to two. That's yeah, right. MSF uh, has a six to one ratio as a as a maximum. One instructor, okay. six students. You ha- you cannot go any more than that per instructor. So lots of face time with experienced instructors. Too. But, Absolutely, but only certain courses that you teach are uh, sanctioned under MSF, right? So I, so like your your experienced rider course or your on-street training, that's not an MSF curriculum, no, right? No, the uh, on-street course is not. The uh, first ride is a is a variation that MSF uh, is okay with. The IRT even has been uh, blessed by MSF and, and saying, yes, this is this is a, a product that we, uh, we endorse. Uh, on-street course is not... Uh, an MSF product. Um, they put one together. It, it was evaluated up here, and Dave and Chris felt that uh, it missed a few items. So that's the reason for developing something in their own direction. Um, then the advanced rider course, however, that we teach is an MSF course. It, it was developed from the military sport bike courses where it came ah, from. Okay. That's its that's its genesis. Okay. And are you guys also teaching step, the, the three-wheel yes, class? Yes, absolutely. We uh, teach step classes. We're, we seem to be knocking out about one a month now. Okay. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to uh, have uh, Whitney Coberly, or Caberly come over and sit down with us from uh, Dirt First Course which is uh, off-road training. And we're going to do a, a, a little quick Q&A like we just did with Steve here. And then we're going to put both of them on the microphone, and we're going to go through some of the the more... The finer details. The, bi- the beyond just talking about the class. The, the stuff yeah. that you can only find on the Sound Rider Show. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Stick around to the other side of the break, and we'll bring Whitney in. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by Rich's Custom Seats, do long days on the road take their toll on your body? That's because stock seats and generic aftermarket seats don't fit anybody. Have your motorcycle seat custom fit to your body. Improve your ergonomic positioning and enjoy long days in the saddle with a Rich's Custom Seat. Just a ferry ride from Seattle. Experience a Rich's Custom Seat today. Hi, this is Don Doherty with All Moto Tire, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. Yeah, my name is Norton Norm, and I really like coming to the Backfire Motor Night. All 
right, writers, we are back. And uh, as you know, we just interviewed Steve Stewart from Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety. And we're going to have an interview now with Whitney Caberly from, uh, what's the name of the... Uh, dirt Bike Safety Training. Dirt Bike Safety Training. I, I always mix that up with Dirt First because I know you use a Dirt First curriculum. Correct. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to preface this by saying it's, uh, it's May. And... I'm a big believer that continuing education on motorcycles puts you in a better situation when a bad situation comes up. And that's why I asked you guys both to come down here today. So um, we need to find out a little bit more about Whitney, now that we know the name of the uh, school that he works at. And uh, Derek, go ahead, take it away. That's right. So uh, like Tom was saying here, always focused on improving skills. And you know, we had a little talk off mic about how important getting those dirt skills are, whether or not you are a dirt bike rider. But tell me a little bit, Whitney, kind of about your background. How long have you been in the industry and how'd you get started with dirt bike safety training? So I've been riding motorcycles for 30 plus years. I started out on a dirt bike. You know, my dad uh, bought an XR100, three kids. We shared one bike. Nice. We'd go riding, you know, all the day, common- right? Sun up to sundown, I'm sure, on that yeah, thing. Yeah. You know, there were a few trails around our house. And um, in fact, we would once in a while we'd splurge and we'd go out to the dump and we'd ride around the dump. But um, for so the you most got part, the Uncle Billy Bob training. Oh man, right. yeah, <laughs> yep. It was uh, very low key, no classes. You know, seat of the pants, wearing rubber boots, and usually no gloves. And we, you know. Pass the helmet back and forth. Definitely. You know? Well, we've certainly seen some changes in the last 30 years, not just in motorcycle training, but also in sort of the way that people want to ride their motorcycles. You know, more and more emphasis on dual sports and adventures and that kind of thing. And that does require, maybe not require, but probably a really good suggestion to get some more training. How did you get started in instructing? And then what led that to, led you down the path to dirt bike safety training? So, I like I said, I've been riding for 30 plus years right. and have really kind of tapped into many different aspects of riding, um, from dirt bike into sport bikes, sport touring. From sport touring, I got into adventure bikes, um, and then I kind of graduated back into dirt bike riding. About three years ago, I was introduced to Gary LaPlante down in Temecula, California, and he owns Moto Ventures, um, a company called Moto Ventures. Sure, and Gary, a legendary name in the motorcycling industry, certainly. Absolutely. Always uh, a big hit when he comes to our rally. That's right. Which we'll see Whitney again here this uh, coming up in August, I yeah, hope. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll be down there at the Sound Rider Rally in the Gorge. Uh, always look forward to the events. Um, so Gary LaPlante has written a book called How to Ride Motorcycles Off-Road. And I took his class and really that his theories and exercises really bonded with the way I ride and things were making a lot of sense. An opportunity came along to start a franchise here in Washington and we jumped at the opportunity. My partner, Jason Sherman, and I um, have started dirt bike safety training and we use Gary LaPlante's Dirt First curriculum. Nice. And that's uh, something at the Sound Rider Rally in the Gorge, of course. Those seminars always uh, fill up almost, it seems like, on day one. So very, uh, very well received. I'm looking here kind of at some of your information here for uh, Dirt uh, dirt first and the uh, curriculum here. It looks like you got a couple of different levels of classes available. Can you take us through kind of some of your offerings so our listeners know a of little course. bit more about what you got going on? Of course. Our level one class is designed for the true beginner, someone who's never been on a motorcycle before. Uh, and we go through, the, for, we start with the controls of the motorcycle, clutch engagement, where that friction zone is, um, how the throttle 
you know, what the throttle does. Right. You know, some of these people, we just had a, uh, did an event for uh, some new riders, six new riders, and they literally did not know which way to turn the throttle. Wow. Um, <laughs> so we're talking very green. Very green in yeah. this situation. But that's great, though, to have options, you know, like that, where you, we were talking to Steve a little bit earlier, who was saying that first course where you just see it go by and you just kind of go, man, that just looks like a lot of fun. Uh, but you don't know where to get started. This is another great option, it sounds like. Yes, and we we uh, completely believe in that. doesn't matter what type of riding you're going to do in the future, whether it's sport bikes, adventure bikes, cruisers, learning to ride in the dirt first pays huge dividends. Have sure. you done on-street training as well? Uh, no, we're not doing on-street no, training. No, but I mean you as an oh, individual. Have you been an instructor for on-street training or, or for, for you know p- pavement training? I have not done on-street training. Okay. So a certified dirt expert, it sounds like. Yes. Right? <laughs> I spend most of the, my time off-road. So now this is level one, though, here. Is this all ages, or what are kind of the requirements for people to get involved at level one? It is. So we have classes for youth, and our requirements for youth riders, um, they need to be able to ride a, a bicycle and have good balance. Sure. Um, usually that's around age five to seven is the youngest that we'd like to do, um, but they need to have the ability to ride bicycles very well, um, and then we have bikes appropriately sized uh, for the youth. Sure. And just something in general for all riders, if you can't ride a bicycle, you might want to stay away from the motorcycle, right? Yes. <laughs> are, are you using the MSF dirt bike curriculum? No, we're not. We're okay. using Gary LaPlante's um, dirt first curriculum. Okay. Even on the youth? Yes. Okay. Okay. Right on. So then a step up from that, uh, Whitney, we go to level two. What can riders expect in a level two training? So in our level two class, this is, I would say about 90% of our students are level two, 85 to 90%. And these, this class is designed for people who have ridden motorcycles before. Um, we have we have riders that come in; they've got 20 years experience, but all on road. Um, riding off road is much different. We slow things down. We work on counterbalancing, braking techniques, body position. Um, kind of some of the finer details here. And you've got just a quick blurb, and I'm just kind of reviewing your pamphlet here. Level two: This course is designed for current dirt riders as well as street, dual sport, and adventure riders. You will learn valuable and practical skills that prepare you for the world of riding off-road. You will learn skills required to conquer terrain. You may encounter such as sand, rock, hills, logs, and ruts. So a pretty comprehensive there. It is I mean, comprehensive. Yeah. One thing we left off of there, I think, is our hill exercises. If you find yourself get stuck on a hill, right? Um, how do you recover from that? We have a specific procedure to... Um, recover from getting stuck on a hill and that seems like such a basic thing but if you find yourself you know out on a dual sport ride even if it's just a logging road or whatever by yourself and you find yourself in an uncomfortable position on a hill that'll scare you pretty fast oh yeah you know? don't you just drop the bike and have your buddy come over and that's move it right. that's very common <laughs> yeah. that's very common i'm stuck and they just push the bike all the way down the hill right and run after it and that's pick right. it up and Remount. Just bring your flare gun. And then uh, level three, Whitney, tell me a little bit about uh, level three training. So level three is a, is a class designed for um, people who have completely mastered our level two classes. Um, maybe they find themselves struggling with a few of the exercises, um, going through whoops, sand whoops. Maybe they're not um, competing at a level that they uh, want to want to be. Right. Um, so we can focus on specific things. Uh, we do have an instructor who um, is very competent off-road motocross. Sure. Uh, So motocross training um, are some things we're going to be offering in the future. So right now, though, because you mentioned motocross, is the emphasis more on sort of the, um, I mean, you have your basic training for use, which I imagine will kind of cross borders there between motocross and everyday riding. But for your more sort of intermediate riders, is the 
the emphasis, at least on the people that are coming to request classes from you, sort of like a dual sport adventure training, do you think? or Yes. Yeah. Off-road. Um, so when I say off-road, I, I really mean uh, a thumper motorcycle. Sometimes it's a motocross bike. Sometimes it's just a dirt bike or a trail bike. Right. Uh, when we talk about dual sport, that means a motorcycle that is street legal, um, that can be ridden off-road and on-road. And then we graduate from there into adventure bikes. Okay. So adventure bikes have longer travel suspension, knobby tires, um, usually saddlebags of some sort, so you can carry your camping gear with you. Tend to weigh a hell of a lot more, and, right? And weigh, you know, <laughs> Which a is lot a more, big twice difference. as much as a dirt bike. That can definitely be a huge difference. And, a lot and more than my 250. Right, a lot more than the 250. <laughs> we were talking about earlier how much fun just a little 250 can be. So but. we have adventure bike. Adventure bike ride riders are the largest demographic uh, largest growing demographic right, right. now in uh, motorcycling. And so we have people coming in, hey, I just got this 1200GS or Super Tenere. Um, but they're very intimidated about riding off-road. Right. So we what we suggest is you park, ride your bike to, the, to our school, park it, hop on one of our small friendly bikes, and go through the exercises, uh, master those exercises, and then hop back on the adventure bike the next day and go through them again. Right. And I think that's a great suggestion, too, because we talk a little bit, you know, those fundamentals can be so transferable between every level of bike, right? Absolutely. So it's like you get it down on something that you can manage. It's not so intimidating. And then once you do graduate to a 800-pound behemoth, you know, GS1200 fully loaded with, I don't know, what are they carrying now, 30 gallons of fuel? I'm not sure even. But <laughs> But definitely, that's a big, big difference. And then there. you have like one of the fueling retankers fly in. I think and that's you usually how it the bike yeah. right that's while the it's GSA moving comes in. Right. They give you the option. If you've dropped the bike, they'll just yank it out by a hook. But, oh, yeah. Or they can the refuel it if it's still up. That's yeah. right. Skyhook. Um, so before we get in kind of the next segment where we're going to bring Steve back in, I just want to maybe you can give us a quick rundown of what people can expect at the Rally in the Gorge this year as well. Because I know well, you guys Well, and do. also let's have him uh, rattle off. He, he's actually doing three rallies this year. You're going to be at the Tour Tech Rally in June. Yep. Tour oh, Tech. and you're going to be at Herald Giant Loops Rally in so we've got, uh, May. Yeah, we've got three events in June. We've got Harold's, uh, Harold Cecil from Giant Loop. He's doing a rally. Uh, the first weekend in June. Oh, okay. That's in June. Mid-June, um, Tracy Jeffries and the Dirty Girls were doing an invite-only event for them in southern Washington. So if you're a girl and you want to get into the Dirty Girls, we talked about this a couple months ago, you got to get on Facebook and go to the Dirty Girls page. Yes. Um, Tracy Jeffries is kind of the uh, lead there. Um, in July, I didn't mention this earlier, but in July, we're doing the Washington BMW Riders association rally over near republic washington uh -huh. so we're going to do two clinics over there um and then in august at the end of august is the sound rider rally in the gorge and at this point it looks like you're going to do a regular course and then a girls only course is that right yes okay yeah we like to offer both um sometimes the guys can be intimidating uh so we like to split it up a little split bit it up yeah and uh get do a class for a female only. Well, and we were talking about that on a previous episode, how uh, sound writers actually outpacing sort of the rest of the industry and uh, women readers here. So we were actually growing yeah. pretty fast. And we started to see that last year, too, at the Rally in the Gorge as well. So I think it's great, you know? I mean, give people an option to get out there and learn. And a lot of women riders also are picking dual sports as their first bikes. Absolutely. All right. All right. So we got an opportunity here. We've got two guys from two different motorcycle training companies here in the room. And uh, th those are both in Washington. And obviously, motorcycle training is all about 
keeping yourself out of trouble. Out of harm's way. And, and having a better experience for it. Uh, but we still see a certain amount of death rate among different states that doesn't seem to move, even though like some states have mandatory training and their numbers aren't dropping on. So uh, I, I got a theory that uh, if you tell somebody they have to go take training, they may not be the person you're going to see coming back for uh, uh, intermediate course or eventually maybe moving over and getting some dirt by train. Those people just kind of go off and do their ride and become a number later. Is that, does that sound about right to you guys? Well, I'm not sure what Whitney's seeing, but certainly in the street world, um, and your training is optional here in Washington. It's not a requirement, but, um, it's pretty much a one and done thing. It is, you know, it is a rare rider at this point that realizes the constant improvement and the constant uh, training is an important part of what we do. Sure. Um, again, dirt world, I'm not entirely sure how that works out, but um, the other part of uh, training is, you know, as good, whatever the training is, pick a, pick a curriculum. If it's not applied, really doesn't make a lot of difference. Uh, we're working more and more and more with sort of behavioral modification aspects to our course so that people will think and will adapt and will own the information a little better and see if it makes a difference. Well, I think one of the things to emphasize, too, on uh, continuing training is, one, it's a hell of a lot of fun, right? I mean, you go out there and you learn, and it's all people who are in the industry, and it's motorcycle riders know Really, just a great group, usually mm-hmm. across the board, especially that side that is so em- has a lot of emphasis on education and that thing. But secondly, for me, it's something that really reinvigorates your interest too, right? Because you do not realize the finer points that you're missing, and really that pure enjoyment of anything, whether it's motorcycle riding or sports or whatever it may be, comes from sort of those finer details. So that's something that we always want to encourage people to get out there and continue learning. Because it really does reignite sort of the passion for those, uh, for that type of um, continual education, but also for the sport in general. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, in my case, I joined uh, Pacific Northwest uh, just a few weeks ago as their man- new manager. And I haven't become an instructor for the on-street course. So I'm in the, in the process of tearing through the books and figuring out what I need to do to get certified sure. to teach that class. And I'm finding in talking to uh, Dave Wendell, the, the, one of the creators of that course, they really put it together for newer riders. Because at the end of a basic course, very often the critiques say, wow, I wish we could have gone on the street. Right. So they created something for that. But what they're finding is experienced riders are who's signing up for that thing. That's right. And getting out on the street with someone else to kind of observe. And you know they are hooked up through radios so they can sort of talk to the student and say, hey, no, oh, Okay, they are, they are hooked up with radios. That's, okay. yeah, it, that's a big plus. It's not so much great two-way tool. communication. It's a little more of the advisor is what they call them there, uh, kind of, uh, pointing out something that's coming up. As opposed to having a lot of chatter, <clears throat> pardon me. The um, it's a four to one, four to two ratio. Four students, two instructors, one in the front, one in the back. Um, they ride different kinds of routes, anything from sort of a residential area to more open roads, and finally can end up on the highway, depending on the three different uh, routes that they'll run during that class. But he, they're seeing experienced riders coming in, and those experienced riders sometimes getting really unnerved at the challenge 
because now they're having they're, they're concentrating on what they're doing. They're not just going from point A to point B. They're really concentrating on all the sure. different aspects that they may have never even noticed before. And so, Whitney, when when uh, you have uh, experience, obviously, probably most of your students are experienced, right? Uh, that's what I mentioned earlier. About eighty-five percent have ridden before. That's our level two classes, and we're seeing people coming in, taking a class after they've already ridden. So yes, mm-hmm. they're continuing education. They're getting some experience off-road. Um, but to answer your question earlier, I w- my perception is for on-street riders that stay on street, they probably take a class, get endorsed. And they just roll with it. That's that's what I did, right. you know, yeah. way back. I think and, you're right. Most people do, and do it's that. Interesting. And then you know that they don't have the kind of skills they really no. need to be out on the road. I mean, first of all, they were trained in a parking lot somewhere. You're, right. you're certified to ride in a parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. getting out on the road um, in the streets with other um, threats out there is is a big deal. All right. So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a big advocate that um, we should all get out and do some kind of a class every two years. And one of the things that I did years ago when I, when I started to think about that, I did the, the basic course, and then I did the advanced rider course. I even went down to the STEP program. I, I, I know for sure now I never want to have a sidecar myself. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't appeal to me. And I've taken some off-road training. And uh, it's a beautiful place we live in because we have so many course opportunities up here that you could just keep, you know, every two years you can go and do something different, really. And so many different training companies. Uh, and even, you know, if you want to go do the uh, the art training down in Oregon or whatever, you can slip that in one of those two-year periods. Go well, ahead. another thing um, that hasn't been mentioned is going uh, for a track day, um, getting some training on an actual racetrack. I haven't done it. That's something that appeals to me, and I really want to seek that out. Right. Um, but you Take the KTM down there and lay that thing out, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you could change the tires. They do have a supermoto version. Take the VR6X down there. That's right. Yeah, get something uh, nice and fancy. Now, you know, we do talk a lot about um, about sort of continuing training and that kind of thing. With so much experience here, I'm wondering, just sort of in general, what do you guys see when you have experienced riders come to you? Are there any patterns where people say oh you know i've been riding for five years or whatever and then you get out and you kind of observe them and you go well you know this looks pretty gnarly what you're doing there do you guys see any patterns that pop up over and over again well one pattern that i've seen last summer we did a um a father's day um training event that's cool we um had most of them were gals who brought their dads sure and right off the bat we had a guy who was you know talking very confidently um I've been riding for years. Right. I'm only here because my daughter asked me yeah, to. Yeah, that's a guy who crashes. Turns <laughs> out he was the first one to crash. There you go. <laughs> and, you know, I hate to say it, but it was a stereotypical. He yeah. was very loud, very, you know, confident. And we're like, okay, we need to keep an eye on this guy. Well, sure enough, when we got onto a single track section, he went off the trail and it was there was a hill there and tumbled and the bike went upside. He was fine. Right. But the bike landed in such a way that gas was pouring out onto his leg. So yeah. he got a little bit of a burn on his leg. Sure. Hmm. And that's yeah. kind of one of the things where everybody goes, are you okay? He goes, yeah. And you so go, maybe he you shouldn't go. have been in that. He, maybe he shouldn't have been in that class right away. He should have gone through a basic. Tour. Well, um, it, that could have been the case. Yep. Um, he, he definitely knew how to ride, but maybe we would have spent more time in the um, safe zone, you know, in the open field rather than going on a trail ride. 
Well, yeah. and going into these classes too open-minded, right? Not just doing it to check the box, but saying, you know what? Uh, there are some experienced instructors here. And we've mentioned this before on uh, the Sound Rider show, but I also, another one of my hobbies is aviation. And you see mm -hmm. sort of this bell curve where most accidents happen within the first 500 hours. And then the second tier is for pilots with over 10,000 hours, right? Gotcha. So yeah. it's kind of like you do need to keep yeah. a continual open mind. And look how many hours of, of, of flying you have to do before you can actually get a certification to fly alone. Right. So it does That's take... a lot. Yeah. It's actually, it takes only 40 hours, believe it or not. Right. But uh, Before you can fly alone? Uh, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, they can actually sign you off for solo and less than that if you're Oh, if you're but before go, you but can carry somebody in the plane with you. 40 hours is the FAA minimum. Uh -huh. Usually it's takes people about 65 okay yeah and that's just talking we're talking about bopping around here i mean you can go where you want but still most people stay in their local area very yeah. familiar terrain but uh with that said that open-mindedness i think is something well anybody should bring that sort of to any training course where there is somebody experienced there but i'm wondering steve because you're a little more on street what do you see pattern wise for people popping up that come from you as quote-unquote experienced riders but looking for continual training well, it kind of fits into two different categories. There's the, I've been riding 30 years, which when you when you boil that down a little bit, what that means is they've had an endorsement for 30 years. Right. And they ride you know, five or six weekends a year. Sure. Um, and then you have the people who do ride quite a bit, but what we see in that group are habits that they've, they've developed, um, not using both brakes every time they stop. Now, That's while true. that doesn't sound like a big deal uh, in itself, what we find is when it comes to hazard avoidance, when things go wrong, you, you fall back on the habits you use all the That's time. Right. So one of the things we stress the most from to beginners uh, all the way up to the most experienced is do what you need to do when you're going to have an emergency and right. do that every time. And that way, when you need it, you're going to use it correctly. Repetition. I firmly believe with that. Uh, yeah. agree with that. But so, you got to focus on behavior modification, not just at the class. But, you know, we call it ride with a plan, where every mm -hmm. time you go and you ride, if you're having problems with doing that braking simultaneously, then that's the thing you're going to focus on for the next couple of times you go and ride so that you, you know, because it's, it's not innate, so you're going to have to do some behavior modification and get it where it's mm -hmm. automatic. We really, the advanced rider course, most of the classroom is about who you are and what you bring to riding. Uh, you know, what is your... Um, sensation seeking is one of the things that's measured you know what do you ride to get from point a to point b as a form of transportation right or do you ride to get from point a so you can beat the chest a little sure. bit when you get where you're going you know i mean it's uh, it, it's who you are has a lot to do with how you ride what you pick you know is it a you know are, do you ride to where it's sort of an accessory to your life or is it the central core of your life i mean that has a big big effect on whether we seek training, whether we ride with the right gear, uh, all of those kinds of things. And um, the the ARC in particular, the Advanced Rider Course in particular, uh, it very much gets people to look at themselves and, and try to set habits and try to at least uh, fess up that I do dumb things on a motorcycle from time to time. It's one of the introduction questions. What's, what's one of the stupidest things you've done lately on a motorcycle? Because we all have. Right. That's a good That's question. A good question. Yep. yep. And in particular, too, I think you see that a lot of people, a lot of riders will be sort of 
top dog isn't the right word, but maybe they ride in their group. They're the most experienced rider time-wise, and they're bringing other people on board with them so they never are challenged face-to-face. So it's good <laughs> to get outside of that circle. Like that Goldwing guy that I talked about. Right, yeah. Took a group of seven people right out in the middle of the highway. That's right. So and all they did was follow him with mm. oncoming traffic coming wow. at him. So, um, okay, well, here's, here's another concept I want to throw out at you. Um, in this state... Everything is uh, not required. You don't, like you said, you don't have to take the course in order to, to get the certification to get the endorsement. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the government nannying. There's other states we have where it is mandatory. And uh, my, my question would be a two-part two question. Should training be mandatory for the basic course? And should there be mandatory education intervals or should we just let people decide for themselves? Whitney, I'm going to let you go with that one first. For on-road, I think there should be a class uh, required to get your endorsement. I believe with the, I believe in that. Okay. Um, I think there's ways to incentivize people to continue education, continuing education and that can be done with the insurance companies. Um, there are incentives to with discounts, but I think there should be more participation by the insurance companies and maybe larger um, discounts available. You know, that's an interesting angle. That's something that I hadn't even considered is the insurance companies, the role that they would play mm-hmm. uh, in sort of encouraging continuing education. They've, they've got a benefit from safe sure. riders too, obviously. Well, you know, now they got those boxes you can put in the car. And they know how hard you stop every time. Right. And they know you how far you jerk the car yes. off of a stoplight. And put put on put that on some of the ADV guys' bikes that you know, and and you're going to see their rate go sky high. Right. <laughs> so what I'm going to do? I'm going to take mine. I'm going to put it in my grandma's car, and go. I'm going to say, you know, yep. 45 miles an hour nonstop for me, straight lines. So. And what about <laughs> some mandatory? Yeah. What about some mandatory education intervals? Should that be a government thing, or should the people just decide to do that on their own? I think. I think you're going to have to leave that one to the people. Let them do it on their own. Okay. Steve, what do you think? Oh, you're catching me between my uh, politics and what I know about psychology. Um, <laughs> and you work for the state. so uh, Worked. Worked. Let's get that past tense thing mm-hmm. in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's certainly a benefit. Common sense says having mandatory training before you go riding is a good thing. Uh, you look at what... Um, a lot of European countries are doing with graduated. You you take a you're required to take a certain amount of training, and you're sort of scoped or limited to the type of motorcycle you can ride. To the yeah, size limited motorcycle. to the size of motorcycle, fifty cc. Exactly. That's how we have all the three hundreds in this country now. Right. You come back for more training. You get a, you ultimately you can get an open class license. But then again, they've even even they've gotten into the uh, the hurry up and get it uh, mindset. They have a new thing. They, well, it's been around for a while now. Direct access training, mm-hmm. uh, and you can go to a, a, a very condensed type of training to get your open license in a very short period compared to what they've been doing in the past. So, you know, and, and instead of America going more like a graduated system, everybody else is going more like ours. Um, and in terms of intervals, of the two, I really think that may be the most important if we can get people back. My experience with the, the last six years working with a military program, and then I'm retired Navy, so I work, that's where I started teaching there. Having those guys come back every three years for some sort of training seems to improve the numbers. 
Uh, I, I won't say drastically, can't even begin to say drastically, but it seems to keep the fatalities down a little bit. So I think there's something to be said for refreshing your skills. Uh, I was an air crewman for the, a good part of my career, and every year we had to go with somebody who was recognized as a little better than we were, go on a check flight, and it's amazing what you could learn. They're there to, to evaluate how well you're doing, but they're there to teach you new things. And it's amazing no matter how good you got, there was always somebody that could teach you something. It yep. only takes a few hours, too, and that yep. can really improve right. you know, tremendously. And see, that's, that's a big point for me is in motorcycling, the education never ends. I've been riding for, I don't want to say, <laughs> 37 years, and uh, I'm always learning new stuff, mm-hmm. even now. And then the things that I have learned over the last 10 or 15 years have radically changed how I ride now. And, well, uh, it's a technical skill. It's true. something that has to continue to evolve. It's something that you have to practice at continually. And, you know, my concern with mandatory training, and we've had some discussions on these kind of things in the past, I always want it to fall to the private side. I want the dealers to encourage it. Mm-hmm. I want people like Soundrider. I want training organizations like Dirt First uh, to encourage riders to get out and train more. The one thing with mandatory training that I always worry about is being stuck in a classroom where half the people don't want to be mm-hmm. there. And it's yeah, just becomes absolutely. a burnt weekend where you're just yes. over and over again listening to that one guy correct the instructor time after time. Mm-hmm. The instructor's trying to show, show patience, but you're just not getting there. Okay, now we're running up on the end of the interview here. Right. I got one more question for, to, for both of you to ponder. Uh, I think we're all in agreement here that uh, continuing your education is the right thing to do. Yes. And you do it voluntarily, not be nannied in by the government to do it. And there's over 100 years of riding experience. But the government obviously wants to reduce numbers. So, Steve, I know when you were down at DOL, you guys did the support your sport thing, which was a media campaign to get people to get out and get some initial training, right? Because training it's not period. Mandatory. To get endorsed because yeah, there was such or, a high right, number right, of because we had a problem with riders. people not yeah. getting – that's right. So um, – so my, my thought is, what, what if we were to uh, go to the state of Washington or Oregon or Idaho or anywhere else in the, in the United States or the world and ask for them to institute a media campaign? I don't know what the name of it is. I haven't come up with a good hooky word yet. But uh, a media campaign that inspires people to continue their education in, in motorcycling, because I, you know, we're going to have to see some numbers on this, I guess. But I, I do firmly believe that people who take routine education are less likely to become a statistic later. What do you think about that? Statistically, you're going to have a hard time proving that. That's, that's an unfortunate thing about rider education. It's really hard to prove by numbers because we don't capture near misses. We don't capture how your training kept you from having a problem. Yeah, we only yeah. capture the fatalities. Yeah, that's we? all. We, that's all we really capture. So it, it's it's all, it's been a, a hard thing to prove since the beginning of rider education. What we are pretty sure about, and largely it came out of the Hurt study, which is what uh, forty years old that now, was, and really yeah, needs 70s. to be updated. Yeah. Um, but what we did find is the people who had training, their initial six months of their riding. Uh, they didn't have to learn as many hard lessons as the person that you know Uncle Bubba taught them how to ride. Right. right. Uh, but at the end of that six months, they were they were pretty even in terms of what they were able to accomplish. They the the Bubba taught caught up. Um, 
that's one statistic we know of. I mean, I'll, I'll take that six months if I'm getting started. I'll take that six months of being a little yeah, safer. Yeah, absolutely. But um, we also know that three to five years in, you were talking about pilots in 2000, right. three to five years in is when motorcyclists begin to have more accidents. That, they that experience complacent. level. Or trade to a new motorcycle. That was another thing we found. They go from a, something, uh, after three to five years, they feel like they're ready for that, you know, uh, oh, my God, goes really fast, or oh, my God, weighs a lot. And that goes, was a CC sport bike. Or, sure, sure. Yeah. Or, or just, you know, they, they decide that that uh, Triumph rocket, uh, you know, with 2,300 cc's and 165 pounds of torque is is a good second bike. What could go Yikes. wrong? Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whitney, what are you thinking? So back to um, something that, Steve touched on earlier is um, kind of mentoring. You, you align yourself with someone who's better than you, no matter what, no matter how fast you think you are. Um, and fast is a relative thing. Because someone's fast, does that mean they're a good rider? No, no. it definitely does not. Um, um, I think a mentor is a great suggestion, though, Whitney, because it is very important to have somebody that you can continue to have that dialogue with. And that can encourage you to get outside of that circle, too, to say, yes. like, hey, you know, I don't know it all, though. You need to go and talk to yep. some other people as well. For road racing, the Washington Motorcycle, Washington Motorcycle Road Racing Association, they line new riders, new racers up with a mentor. Right. And you're with that person for a year or two, and they show them the, you know, tricks of the trade. Hmm. Um, and it's a great program. Hmm. I'm not sure that can apply to every motorcyclist on the road, um, but it's... It's. I'd encourage people to find someone that can be a mentor to them um, on their own. Friends, join clubs um, through ADV Rider. There's there's many resources out there and forums out there uh, where you can uh, go to a meet and greet and meet people and go for rides together. Sure. All right, guys. I want to thank you for both coming down here today, and uh, I want to encourage our riders to get out there and get a, another course under your belt, whatever it may be, a, a street course, advanced rider course, a, uh, a dirt first course, whatever. Uh, just keep expanding your, your knowledge of riding the motorcycle, and I think you're going to have a better ride for it. All right. Thank we, you, Tom. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. We will be back in a moment with a couple of tips and tricks. Support for the Sound Riders Show is provided in part by South Sound Honda, serving the South Puget Sound region for more than five decades. South Sound Honda, located in Olympia, is your destination for fun. Hi, my name is Dan Muir. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. I ride, among other bikes, an R1150GS, and my favorite local ride is to uh, head up to Port Townsend in the afternoon just for a cup of coffee. Hi, this is Ian. I live in Seattle. I ride a Kawasaki Versus, and this summer I'm going to be riding off-road in the Oregon desert. Welcome back, writers, to the Soundwriter Show. I'm Tom Barron, a publisher here with Derek Roberts. Wow, 
Those were some interviews, huh? I tell you what, a lot of good stuff in this episode, and I'm really glad those guys had a chance to come by and share their thoughts on continuing education. Well, it was kind of funny when they both showed up at the same time, because I had originally planned to bicycle them through one, sure. one and then the other, and then the fact that I had both of them here was a great chance to bring them together and let them bounce stuff back and forth. Made so. for a nice back and forth. I agree with that. That was pretty cool. All right. Well, this is uh, the back end of the show, and uh, we're going to share with you a few tips and tricks. you got something I don't know what it is. Tell us about it. Yeah. So mine is more a little bit of a touring tip uh, this month, and starting to get into that season where I'm starting to think about those three and four and five day camping trips out on the uh, dual sport, of course. And at the end of last year, I think you noticed this as well, my tent is starting to look a little ragged. I did notice that. So definitely the rain fly needs to be replaced. I might need to go ahead and chuck the whole thing. It's about 10 years old, and it served me well. But my tip this month for all you adventure tours or anybody who plans on camping along the routes this year is to uh, inspect your tent, and if necessary, buy a new one. Or or just reseal the seams if it's not too bad off. Yours is your yours is bad enough. You need a new tent. Honestly, I think it's just the fly, but I don't know if I'll be able to get that because it's a ten year old tent. I don't know if I'll be able to replace just the rain fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll see. Lots of good memories there. So well, some always... of our miser guys will tell you just put a, a garbage bag over your. Yeah, tent that's or, it. Right? Blue tarp or something. Just bring the blue tarp. Forget the tent. Yeah, but wrap yourself up and make, your, make yourself a blue tarp burrito. There you go. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, mine has, uh, uh, my tip has to do with touring as well. Um, you know, I see a lot of articles on touring tips and that sort of thing all the time. And, uh, and I see where guys recommend, uh, well, make sure you put the heavy stuff in the bottom and the light stuff on the top. Sure. And I'm here to tell you, just throw that one right out the window. Right. Uh, you put the stuff on the bottom you're not going to use. You put the stuff on the top you're going to use. Seriously, man, you're only carrying like like uh, 40 pounds of gear, so you don't really need to worry about how that's mixed up. That's true. But, you know, if you need to be getting to the bag that has your sunglasses and sunscreen and things, you know, where your GPS is stored, put all that stuff up on top. And don't worry too much. Don't get into the machinations of this backpacking mentality. That's definitely true. And you should have your suspension tuned well enough to where you can uh, you can handle a little bit of rotation in how you do pack those things. Yeah. Right? And also, you know, you just put it in the trailer if all else fits. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, put it put it in the trunk or the glove box. Put it in the trailer on your gold wing and be the last in the line of eight as you pull out into traffic. Well, put so. it all in your ice chest. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Bring an ice chest. All right, folks, that does it for the May show. We'll look forward to having you come back and join us for the June show. And uh, in the meantime, we want you to uh, ride safe, ride well, ride often, and don't ever ride like my mother and don't ride like my mother i look forward to hearing you <laughs> i look forward to seeing you in june the sound rider show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved which is not to say we're doctors reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner but please be sure to share the link with all your facebook friends this program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on The Sound Rider Show.